Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. All of us here at the For the Sake of the Child podcast would like to thank the Mildenhall Spouses Association for supporting today's podcast. We appreciate your generous support. It allows us to not only share information and resources in this podcast, but also build connection through shared stories and experiences, providing military families and professionals tools to provide a convoy of support to military-connected children. Thank you for making a difference in the lives of military kids. Welcome everyone to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. I'm Katja Pinkston. I'm a parent educator, curriculum developer, and podcast host for the Military Child Education Coalition. I am also a parent and the spouse of a retired service member. I'm currently at the MSEC National Training Seminar in downtown Washington, D.C., and I'm very excited that joining me today is Dr. Tony Antonucci. She is the Duban Collegiate Professor of Psychology. She is also the Senior Research Professor at the Institute for Social Research at the University of Michigan. So Dr. Antonucci, again, thank you so much for being here this morning and it's talking to us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am originally from Brooklyn, New York, and I um, went to both Catholic and public schools there. I have been an academic my entire life, uh, going first to undergraduate school at Hunter, then to graduate school at Wayne State, and then my first job was at Syracuse University. And my last job, my current and last job, which I've been at for 30 or 40 years, is at the University of Michigan. I was moved by a book that I read in high school no college called Children Who Hate, which is about uh, boys who were what they called in those days juvenile delinquents. And the reason they were juvenile delinquents, said this book, was because they came from broken homes. I don't know if some of the young people probably haven't even heard that term anymore. We don't use it very much. But I was moved by how life circumstances had really um, messed with those kids' future, their current lives and their future. And uh, I really wanted to study that and see if there were ways where we could improve their life circumstances. So I ended up going to Wayne State because the guy who wrote that book was at Wayne State. Unfortunately, I was not a very knowledgeable child, so I applied to the wrong department. He wasn't even in the department I applied to. I applied to psychology, and he was in education. Anyway, I... um, I was very lucky because the department in psychology and developmental, which is what I applied for, was uh, a lifespan developmental psychology 
program, which was one of the few in the country. Now it's very common. But as a result, I learned to study development and change across the lifespan without a specific age focus. And as a consequence, I even to this day study children and old people and young and adolescents and emerging adults and middle-aged adults. So um, it's been a very rewarding career. Um, fortunately, I've been influenced by some mistakes I've made and a very influenced by those mistakes in, in a very positive direction. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Antonucci, you and your colleagues at the University of Michigan, you have coined the term convoys of social support. Can you explain what that means? Sure. We borrowed the term from David Plath, an anthropologist who has now passed away, and my colleague Bob Kahn, who only passed away this, this year uh, at the age of, nine, of 100. Uh, we, we borrowed the term from him, and he had observed it when he was doing some field work in Japan, where he noted that Japanese children tended to grow up in groups. I think an, a non-specific term would be cohorts. They were they aged. They were born into this group, and they stayed in this group throughout their lifetime. And it was very useful to them as they went through the trials and tribulation of childhood and adolescence. He didn't study them past that, but he was impressed by the fact that the group helped each other. Um, they supported each other. They taught each other things. They helped each other. They socialized each other. Um, sometimes they perpetuated annoying sort of things and arguments, but mostly they were a convoy that helped these children grow and develop over time. That's where the term came from. Bob Kahn it, it was a social psychologist who was particularly interested in organizational issues. I, as I said earlier, am a developmental psychologist interested in how the individual develops and changes over time. We were working together and it was a, the convoy concept is a marriage of our backgrounds. So, and as I, if, as I talk about the specifics of, of uh, convoys, I, we talk about personal characteristics and situational characteristics, and they exactly match our backgrounds. So the personal characteristics talks about who you are as an individual and how you develop over time. And the situational characteristics talks about the social circumstances, the contextual circumstances, the organizational circumstances, and how that influences your development over time. What was particularly unique about the convoys is its developmental perspective, but also that it didn't take uh, what has some have called the nature-nurture debate and didn't take a perspective that it's either, in this case, all the individual or all the circumstances, but rather it's a combination. And the other thing I'm particularly proud about, about in terms of the theory is that it wasn't determinative. So it could, it might say that there are antecedents that suggest a direction of growth and development, but it didn't mean it had to be that way, that there could be, there's room for change and development over time. So why do you think is it so important that we focus on these social convoys of support? Well, for many years, people didn't think it was very important. They thought social relations were kind of soft and unimportant and didn't really matter. You really had to get to the hard stuff, the biology, the chemistry, whatever. But here's where science helped us out a lot. 
people did studies in which they found that people under certain circumstances, which we would call supportive convoys, had better outcomes than people in in worse circumstances or with with worse convoys. And the, the probably the most definitive study was a study that that just did a very gross measure of whether adults had ties to organizations or people. And it was like just three questions. Do you belong to a, a, a church or a synagogue? Do you belong to any um, work-related groups? Do you belong to any community groups? Really very, very general questions. And they follow those people over time. And by time, I mean 9, 10, 11, 12, 16 years, and found that the people who said yes to those questions were more likely to be alive those many years later um, than people who said no to those questions. So I like to say, dead, not dead. Very hard variables. You can't say that's a soft variable, right? You can't say it's wishy-washy. It's really having a significant impact on outcomes. And then since then, there's been a lot more studies that have garnered attention that looked at uh, psychological factors like depression, another area where the field has been criticized is because, you know, that's another soft variable. Depression is, is kind of wishy-washy, which although we now know that it's a very significant problem with a lot of people and has a lot of um, potentially serious negative consequences, but also other kinds of factors, general health, physical health, susceptibility to disease, big diseases like heart attacks and and cancer, but also um, things like um, psychological effects, psychoimmunological factors. So your susceptibility to a disease, to something like a cold, people who are under stress, feel don't feel supported, are more susceptible. So that's why it's important. I mean, I think I have to admit I'm kind of a convoy nerd. You know, I love the whole idea. I love all the things about understanding what, how people get in the circumstances they're in and how it affects them and what are the right measures and what are the right samples. I love all that stuff because I think it's really interesting. But why it's important to the world at large is because those things really affect an individual's health and then the people around them, of course. If you have somebody who's forever depressed or forever sick or has some terminal illness, it affects you and then affects your ability to lead a productive life. It affects your well-being, not only your physical and mental health, but your general well-being. And what I like to do, and one of the things I've benefited from working in different disciplinary circumstances, I recognize that the outcome variable that's important to people vary. So like I like to talk about health and well-being, but some people think, so what? I mean, I don't mean to sound as coarse as that, but some people think like, why should we care? And another thing that's important in terms of outcome is flat out productivity, flat out economics, because people who are sick aren't productive. People who are depressive, depressed are not productive. They don't make as much money. They don't contribute to the economy. They don't contribute in positive ways to their family and friends. So it's not only about that individual health variable. It's about that person's contribution to the world, which brings me back to that whole notion of convoy. You're in it together. You sink or swim together. Not completely, obviously. Some people can make it out, et cetera, et cetera. But that's why the concept is so important. You said 
that these convoys affect how how we operate. It affects basically everything and touches on everything that we do in our lives. So let's get to our military connected children. Perfect. Because, you know, being a military spouse, I have moved so many times. There are these stressors that our military children are exposed to, the deployments, the constant moves, the transitions. So how do you think that affects a child? Well, that's a really good question. Of course, the convoy, the term convoy is a military term. So people in the military tend to resonate to it. And I think the military child is a very special case that has both risks and resilience. So the military child is faced with a lot of challenges. And those challenges can be considerable, can be pretty detrimental. On the other hand, it is amazing how resilient military children are. And I have, even before associated with this conference, I've been impressed with the number of people you hear. For example, now in our 20 cases of people running for president, uh, how many have a military background? How many, and in my own colleagues, people. So I bring that up to say that, yes, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of challenges. And I want to talk a minute about how to meet those. But the, on the other side of that, it is amazing how well children, military children adapt and how they tend to, I would guess, I don't have the data, so I just would say this from my own personal experience, they tend to then turn it around and live a life of service, not necessarily in the military, but do things that contribute to the greater good, they have that sense. And so as, uh, as I was thinking about the military child, I was thinking they, in ways much stronger than most other people, have a sense of belonging. They know they belong to the military. They know there are, there, there are things there to support them. And I don't say that by way of dismissing the challenges, because I think moving is a tough one. Uh, but you do move to another military family. And so there are supports. And kids, I think, both suffer uh, from those challenges. So, you know, the worst thing in the world is having to get up and move from the ch the friends that you've had, the school that you've come to know and love. Of course, unless you hate it and don't have any friends, but yeah, even so, getting up and going is tough. And I, I'm always reminded of a colleague of mine who had five kids and he said he, he, he was moving, he was going on sabbatical from Michigan to, to California. And he was from California, so he was really happy to go. But the kids were all from Michigan, so they were like, he says, I remember this trip. They drove in a station wagon. They drove across campus, across country, and the whole way out, the kids cried and complained. They were ruining, they, the parents, were ruining their lives by taking them to California. After a year in California, take the same trip back, and the kids are still crying and complaining. They're ruining their lives by leaving California and going back to Michigan. So I, by this, I, I mean to say that we can't not recognize the challenges. We can't rec not recognize that the kids have some significant, unusual circumstances to deal with. Deployment is a case in point. Long time, especially when you're, a parent is gone. But you know, I'm so impressed with how resilient people are. I mean, they manage. Not everybody, and I don't want to be Pollyanna about this. I don't want to say everybody does great, because obviously that's not the case. But people are incredibly resilient, and families are 
incredibly resilient. And I think the military has tried to be responsive to the needs of the child. On the other hand, I would also mention that sometimes those kids are very lucky to not be in their home environment. That is, they may come from a circumstance which would not give them the kind of support that they would get from the military. They may come either because they wouldn't, their family is, their more extended family isn't, doesn't have it to give. And I, I say it that way because I don't want to be judgmental. It's not like they have terrible families. They just don't have it to give for whatever their reason is. Or they live in economic poverty. And so if you live in a, in a neighborhood with no resources, you can't benefit from any resources. Whereas when you get to the military, you do have an advantage that you have the potential. Right. Now, for our parents who are listening, uh, they may be asking themselves, well, is there anything at all that I as a parent can do to help kind of stabilize my child's convoy of social support? Is there something that parents can do? Do you have a suggestion perhaps or an well, advice? Yes. I mean, parents obviously are a very significant part of how the child adjusts. And I think two things I would would suggest. One is recognize that there are challenges. Do not deny that the kid's got these problems or is facing these challenges. Be sympathetic. But then one of the things that I think is important about a convoy is it gives the individual the support that says, you can do this. You can face this challenge. You can conquer the problems we're facing and we can do it together. And that's, I think, the unique role of a parent because the parent tends to be the person who's coming with them, for example, as they're moving someplace. The parent, one parent, hopefully, is the person who's there with the child when the other parent isn't. And so I think and then uh, how to deal with the specifics depends on the circumstances. So as a, if, a, if a parent is deployed, you can keep him in the child's life by talking about that parent by Skype and WhatsApp and whatever you have as your, as your means of communication. Keep that com connection going. I don't think it's helpful to have that person, you know, like go away and not be spoken of. And in the terrible circumstance, if the person does not come back, I think the same thing applies. You don't make that person disappear because it's not going to disappear in the child's life. Keep that person alive. Keep that person someone that, that the child recognizes had a commitment to them, loved them, would be there for them if they could be. So to, to get back to your, to summarize to your original questions, parents are crucial and they have an important, they have an important uh, role. Therefore, I would say the parents also have to take care of themselves, right? You can't, it may be that you have to do something for yourself, whether it's take a bubble bath, not something I do a lot because I just can't stand all that water and bubbles and stuff. But, you know, if it's your thing, fine. It may be take a walk around the block. It may be, you know, go out for dinner with friends. I think being a good parent doesn't mean you have to be a martyr. You have to take care of yourself because that brings you a better person when you come back. You know, you've, you've had a break. You can come back and face it again. Whereas if it's been 24-7, you just buried. I mean, it's inhuman what we ask people to do. So we should be more understanding. If it means getting help, whether it's getting a babysitter or getting somebody to clean the house or getting getting a, a group of other military spouses together to talk about stuff or help each other on specific things, do it. Do it. Don't think that you're 
you don't deserve it. You deserve it and it makes you a better parent. Do you have perhaps a final story or a piece of advice that you would like to share with our listeners? I am a firm believer in multiple perspectives. So, and I learned this lesson from my husband. It's all well and good to get advice from somebody who agrees with you, get an opinion from somebody who agrees with you, but it's much more educational and much more informative. You go to people who you know disagree with you, who you know have a different opinion because you can learn from them. And so my advice would be always be open to different input. And to go back to my other example, take care of yourself. It makes you a better parent and it allows you to do, to be more productive as an individual, but also to give more to your family. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for taking the time to share these tips with us, Dr. Antonucci. I it's really enjoyed our talk. It's my pleasure and good luck to all your parents, all the parents out there. It's the most important job you do. Thank you again. This podcast has been made possible because of the generous support from the Mildenhall Spouses Association. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast for the sake of the child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.